everybody. Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. Good to see you tonight. I'm going to take a few moments and pray. We'll ask God's blessing on our time and we'll get going with the Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, your presence here. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that he would lead us, guide us, empower us, anoint this time. I pray the teaching time uh, would just do its job. Uh, and I pray that you would bring revelation through it, God. I pray you'd speak to hearts, speak into lives. I ask that we would receive all that you have for us. We commit this time. We hand it to you. We say, God, use it. Use it to change us. Use it to inspire us. Use it to challenge us. Uh, use it to encourage us. Uh, we give you thanks uh, for your presence. We ask that you'd have your way in and through our lives through this time. So thanks for being here. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open to Acts chapter 11. Acts 11. Once you get to Acts 11, I need a volunteer to read verse 17. Thanks for reading that. Uh, this is a, a section where Peter is giving an account of something that had happened to him where he had been supernaturally prepared for and then called to go to the house of a man by the name of Cornelius who was a Roman and he had a whole house full of Gentiles which at the time... There were, from the Jewish perspective, there were two types of people. There were Jewish people and there were Gentiles. And so Peter had received a vision while he was praying. And this vision had been repeated. And it was something that God was speaking to him about as far as the Gentiles were concerned, preparing him to actually go, number one, with the people that were coming to get him. And then two, to, to preach and to minister to the Gentiles Whereas before this, he had been taught his whole life and had been convinced his whole life that that was inappropriate, that it was wrong. And so he represented a whole section of the church, the New Testament church, that believed that the gospel was for the Jewish people only. And so they, they looked at it that way. They saw it that way. They believed it was that way. And they had been raised with a prejudice against non-Jewish people, a prejudice against the Gentiles. They referred to Gentiles as dogs. And so they really, that's, that's how they were raised. That's how they were brought up. That's how they saw the world. That's how they understood the world. And that's the way it was. Uh, that was just historically, that's how it was, it was done. So that needed to change. And, and God 
who had prophecy, you know, had brought prophecy forth all the way from the time of Abraham in the Old Testament. You go back to the patriarchs, or even you go back to Adam and Eve, and it talks about even Adam and Eve how um, the discussion of the serpent and man, and and how there there would be uh, this enmity between the serpent and man. And going down through that, understanding that included in God's plan was the whole world. It was the whole world. And it wouldn't just be the Jewish people, although the Jewish people had been specifically called and they had been specifically blessed. Uh, they had been specifically highlighted by God. They had been called God's people. They understood that. But bigger than that, and, and more importantly, God had a plan for everybody. And so all the nations of the world would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. Talking about Jesus. So Jesus came. You see this also in other prophecies from the Old Testament, uh, that the Gentiles were a part of God's plan. You can see it. It's the whole world. And so Peter and, and the other apostles, they had to be brought into that. They just couldn't see it. They couldn't. They couldn't hear it. They were blinded to it. They had they had been taught something completely different. And so the context of this verse, and, and I'm, I'm taking a little while to set it up because I want you to understand the concept of it. The concept of the verse is that Peter was going to go to the house of Cornelius and do something that would be completely and utterly radical to the people of his day. In other words... They would look at that and there would be huge sections of people within the church that would disagree with what he was going to do. And so God took the time to prepare him for that. God took the time to supernaturally bring revelation into his life through the vision that he showed him. God supernaturally spoke into his life. And he specifically said to Peter, he said, don't call the things that I say are clean don't call them unclean. And that was what he was teaching him. And so this happened over and over again. And, and so God emphasized it more than once. So it wouldn't just be a one-off, like, oh, I got this revelation. But no, I got this revelation. I got this revelation again. And I got this revelation again. And so it became something that God confirmed once, twice, and said, this is what I want you to do. So Peter having received that revelation. And immediately after he received that revelation, God said there's going to be some guys that are going to come. They're going to come get you, and they're going to take you. You need to go with them. He gave him specific instructions to do that. And this is how this was going to take place. It wasn't going to take place with, oh, let's just have a philosophical discussion about whether or not we want to include the Gentiles in the plan of God. That wasn't it. God was saying, this is my plan this was my plan from the very beginning. This is my plan now, and you're going to carry it out. Whether you believe it in your heart of hearts or you don't, you're going to carry it out. And that was Peter's job. So God spoke to him. God revealed to him. God gave him specific instructions, and Peter was obedient to that. And if you know the story, he went to the house of Cornelius. And so when he went to the house of Cornelius... He got up, he began to preach the gospel to him. And as he began to preach the gospel to him, the Holy Spirit fell on him, just like it did on the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible describes that the Holy Spirit fell on them and they all began to speak in tongues. They are all baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you, I'll take this moment to encourage you, that we believe in that. That we believe that God still does that. We believe God still moves that way. We believe that God is still pouring out His Holy Spirit. God is still filling people. God is still baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. People are still speaking in tongues. And this is a part of God's plan, purpose, and empowerment of the church that He does those things. And I would encourage you to seek that for your life. That if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't speak in tongues, seek that. Just ask God for it. And, and let him fill you and let him let him power you the, the way that he empowered them on the day of Pentecost or the way that he empowered the people at the house of Cornelius on that day 
or how he filled the disciples that were in Ephesus in, in Acts chapter 19, and they began to, uh, to prophesy. So I want you to, to hear that God has his plan and he's doing it. And so that's what happened. The, the Holy Spirit fell on them. They began to speak in tongues. Peter, after seeing that, he's like, well, who can not baptize these people and integrate them into the body of Christ? And so that's what he did. So he did these things, and he was under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He did these things. He had supernatural revelation. He did these things. He had specific instructions from Jesus to go and do what he did. But he got called up to the council to explain himself. Because the church council wanted to know, hey, what happened? Because they were still in that place where this isn't allowed. You can't do this. This is not right. Because it had all been brought up that way. They'd all That's all they knew. That's all they ever heard. And in their hearts, in their minds, they believed that if they began to mix the church with the Gentiles, it would corrupt the church and the, cor- and the church would turn in- into some kind of a sinful thing and be dishonoring to God. And so in their minds, they were protecting the church against the, this disruption. They were protecting the church against this disgrace being brought into it. And so... That, that was their reaction. So they're like, Peter, I mean, Peter's kind of a famous guy already. I mean, he was with Jesus. He was like outspoken, kind of bombastic. I mean, you know, I don't know how smart he was, but man, he was really, you know, motivated with Jesus. And, and so he was just somebody that took a position in the early church. He didn't lead the council, but he had a position within the early church. Bible describes miracles that Peter was doing when he would walk by people on the street and just a shadow touching them and they'd be healed. And we know that he did some of the, the first public miracles of the church with, you know, the beggar at the gate called Beautiful, the lame man that could walk. He was thrown in jail a couple times. He'd already been in jail a couple times, got miraculously let him go. So, I mean, it wasn't that Peter didn't have credibility. I mean, he had plenty of credibility within the early church. But this was just so beyond the pale of what they could understand and what they could accept that they called him in and said, like, all right, well, you need to explain yourself now. You kind of follow me what's happening here? You got the administration wanting to know what the field rep was doing. Because it didn't, it didn't follow the plan. It didn't follow what they wanted him to do. It didn't follow what they expected. And so they're like, okay, you need to come and explain yourself. And so in this passage, Peter's explaining himself. That's what you're reading there. And he's telling the story. He's just telling the story. He's like, I had the vision. I had the vision. I had the vision. And then... Jesus told me these guys were coming for me, go with them. So I did. I obeyed it. Then we got there. And I mean, he just literally retells the story. I got there and I preached and the Holy Spirit fell on them. They all began to speak in tongues. And this is what happened. Then we baptized them and brought them into the church. But he makes this statement here that Alan read. And in this statement, the, the, the Greek construction, I don't know if it will help you understand the, the meaning behind it a little bit, but the Greek construction sheds a little bit of light. It says this, if I read it uh, interlinear, kind of word for word, it says, If then God gave to them an equal gift as to us. If then God gave to them an equal gift as to us, upon their believing. That's the construction. Now, I don't know if that helps to shed a little bit of light about what he was saying, but what he was saying was, is that the evidence that God gave that day, as he was preaching, that evidence brought and elevated the Gentiles 
that Peter was preaching to, it elevated to an equal status as them upon their believing. And so Peter, by saying this, was bringing a premium on belief. He was bringing a premium on the idea that belief is the thing that's going to matter, that they had faith. And so we're starting to work our way toward a New Testament understanding of how to see the world. And Peter is the first guy that's really bringing that understanding to the church, bringing that understanding to the Jerusalem Council that was overseeing the whole church. And so he's bringing this understanding, and this is the way that the New Testament begins to lay down how we're supposed to see the world. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. That is how, when it comes to our faith in Christ, that is how they begin to develop a worldview for the church. And that's where it's heading. But he begins that here. He begins to speak to that worldview here by saying this, is that God gave to them equal, an equal gift as to us. And so he's beginning the first part of that statement. And the first part of that statement, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, according to their faith. And that, that is crazy talk to these people. And yet that's the truth. And sometimes the truth, which this is, sometimes the truth can sound like crazy talk if we've been conditioned to believe something else. And so we need to be careful when we hear something that maybe we haven't heard before to not dismiss something out of hand necessarily as just crazy talk, but to recognize that we come with our own biases, we come with our own prejudices, we come with our own worldview. We come with our own way of seeing things. And maybe God, especially through a guy like Peter, I mean, somebody that had the credibility, right? That maybe God was going to use this man who had laid down his life for the sake of the gospel, this man who had been in prison for the sake of the gospel, this man who had been beaten for the sake of the gospel. Maybe he's going to use him to bring some truth into the church. It's a possibility. And so Peter makes this statement. And he asks, he asks really two questions. He asks this question, who am I? Is the first question he asks. Who am I? The two basic questions of discipleship. There's always been, there will always be two basic questions of discipleship. Here are the two basic questions. First question is, who am I? That's the first basic question of discipleship. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, that's the first question that needs to be asked. Who am I? And really, you're the best person to answer that. People can help you answer that. And your interactions with people can help you answer that. And your interactions with God can help you answer that. But you're going to have to answer that yourself. Who am I? The second question of discipleship that needs to be answered if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is who is Jesus? So you got these two basic questions. You've got who am I and who is Jesus? And they both have to be answered. And you think to yourself, well, why do I have to answer the question about who am I? Well, the, the question about who am I, it answers a bunch of questions about how you see things. The question about who am I begins to answer some questions about why you're reacting the way you're reacting. The, the question of who am I begins to answer some questions about how you're going to see God. I mean, it's a basic condition that we need to understand. We need to get some kind of grasp on who we are. You know, if we, if we look at that and we say, okay, well, who am I? I'm a happy-go-lucky person. All right, well, maybe you are. Or maybe you answer that question, I'm a bitter person. Now, do you see how being a happy-go-lucky person affects your worldview? Can you see how being a bitter person affects your worldview? Do you, do you kind of understand what I mean by that? So 
it affects how you see people, it affects how you see God, it affects how you see the things around you. But the the truth of the matter is, is that you need the truth of the matter about your life. If we're going to pray and we're going to say, hey, Jesus, change me. Change what? If you don't know who you are, what's going to change? Likely. Nothing. Nothing. Because you're not really thinking about what needs to change. If you know you're a bitter person, what needs to change? Bitterness, right? If you know you're an angry person, what needs to change? Anger. You start going down a whole list of stuff, you get an idea about that. If you're an unfaithful person, what is Jesus going to work on in you? Why can you, why can you assist or, or allow for or participate in the work of Christ in your life for if you're an unfaithful person? Maybe developing faithfulness. What if you're an anxious person? Well, maybe Jesus wants to bring some peace into your heart, into your life. And maybe you can participate in that process of learning to live in peace and learn to live in His grace and learn to live in His rest. Maybe. But you can't do that if you can't admit that you have anxiety. Or you can't see it. And so it comes down to there has to be a, a spot in our life where we're just willing to honestly look and say, okay, well, this is who I am. And you'll see what you see. And it may not be the whole picture. It's not going to be the whole picture. But it will be something that you can participate in. And as God begins to change that, as Jesus begins to work on that in our lives, then maybe we see something else. We keep our eyes open. And then maybe something else. And maybe something else. And before you know it, we're changing from the inside out. Instead of trying to apply some generic set of rules over our lives and over everybody's life that's around us, then maybe we begin to change individually from the inside out through the work of the Holy Spirit. But that's a result, at least partially, of you coming to grips with, this is who I am. And just because it's who you are doesn't mean it's who you're going to be. It just means that's who you are. There's something positive about that. And I know that some of us, we've been running from who we are for a long time, and it's hard for you to hear me say there's something positive about it, but there really is something positive about it. If you're scared, then you're scared. But but let's let Jesus begin to deal with that. Yeah. If you're afraid of what other people think, well, then you're afraid of what other people think. But... Maybe Jesus wants to deal with some of that in you and you can participate in that process in your life if you'll just see it, admit it. And I think you're understanding what I'm saying. I just don't know how to, to get you to actually look. I, no one can make you do that. It's up to you to have enough courage. Courage? Yeah, courage, bravery. To look at yourself honestly and and to just see see for just a second. All right, this is who I am. All right, Jesus. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Now, Peter, he, he starts with that question, who am I? Well, he knows, he knows who he is, in a sense. I mean, he's an apostle. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was part of the inner circle with Jesus. He got called Satan by Jesus. He denied him. On the night which he was betrayed, he denied him. Made a comeback. Ran to the empty tomb. Was an eyewitness to the resurrection. He was an eyewitness to the risen Jesus. Jesus comforted him after he arose got instruction to feed his sheep and take care of his lambs. So he knew that. And he also knew that when he was older, he was going to stretch forth his arms and be led somewhere he didn't want to go. And he was talking about how he was going to die. So Peter kind of knew a lot, didn't he? He also knew that he was a hothead. 
and they cared what other people thought a little too much. And there were other things about Peter that he probably knew about himself. But he had to answer the question, who am I? And so, if all those things, denying Jesus, Jesus calling him Satan, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, I mean, all that stuff. Well, how was Peter out doing things he was doing? Well, the way he was out doing things he was doing because he was a beneficiary of grace. He was saved by grace. He was forgiven, cleansed, empowered. His righteousness, he was accepted, he was safe, he was loved, he was redeemed. And he had to recognize all those things. He had to recognize that he had shortcomings and he had strengths. He had to recognize that he had done great things and he had done things that he wasn't proud of. He had to recognize that his relationship with Jesus was close, but he didn't always say or do the right thing even then. And so he had to recognize all those things. But he also had to recognize that he was commissioned. He also had to recognize that that he was called to give his life. And he knew that he was being used by Jesus. There was miraculous signs, wonders that were taking place. He knew all those things. But it was by the grace of God that all those things were happening. And so he had to answer a basic question, who am I? Well, I'm all those things, but basically I'm being successful within the kingdom of God because of the grace of Jesus in my life. His forgiveness, His cleansing, all those things. His empowering, His righteousness, uh, his, his safety, the love that He's pouring out on me, the redemption that He gives. And so, He had to recognize all those things. And I want to say this, that ultimately, answering the question, who am I, that's where you come to. And it's important that you go through whatever kind of inventory you need to go through about who you are. But to come down back to this place of, but I'm still being used, I'm still loved, I'm still someone that God uh, is, is empowered, I'm still someone that God has redeemed, I'm someone that God loves and is safe in Him and all those things. And you come down to that, that kind of grace over your life before you're ready to really, really pour into other people. So that's the first question that Peter answers. Who am I? And so he would have to answer that question first. And so given his history, given his history, even though this goes against everything he believed at the time, but given his history, Jesus comes to him, speaks to him, and says, these men are coming for you. You've got this vision. You've seen this vision more than once. I've spoken this to you more than once. These men are coming. Go with them. You're to go with them. I don't think Peter was in a position to not obey the direct word of Jesus. Not anymore. Not anymore. Because he had taken inventory of who he was. And that was going to be more important than what anybody else thought. That was it. And so he went with them and everything happened that happened. And so he answered that question, who am I? And he went with those guys. The second question he asked here in this passage, which I, which, which I find interesting, he says, who am I? And then he says, to stand in God's way. That, that's kind of a weird statement. Do you think you can stand in God's way? I mean, you can, right? I mean, you can wait for a big semi to be coming up Westcott Street and step into that crosswalk right there at Harvard if you want. I ain't saying they're going to stop or anything if you've ever been in that crosswalk before, right? I mean, they might stop. I don't know about you, but if I'm crossing the street over here on Westcott Street, I'm looking for wheels to slow down before I start crossing. Because I, I see too many cars scream through there. There was one time one of, uh, Morgan was stepping across over there and she got into the road and the guy just flew past her, probably a foot away from her. I chased the car <laughs> down the street. He saw me running after him and blew the stop sign down there too. <laughs> I was so mad. I mean, seriously. So you can stand in the way if you want. But what happens when you stand in the way of a semi? 
if it's not stopping. Nothing good for you. And you're not going to hinder the semi. So what, what I'm trying to get at is if this is, has more to do with Peter and the way that he sees things and the way that he sees his role in the church. I don't think he's suggesting through this that he was going to stop God. That's not what I'm saying. What I think he's suggesting through this is that God had chosen him to be the conduit, to be the means by which the church was about to change. That there was going to be a cultural shift within the church that was about to change and their worldview was about to change. And he was going to use Peter to do that. And he's not going to stand in the way of God using him. And I want to encourage you to get that attitude. I don't want to stand in the way of God using me. For what? For anything. And it could be as significant as seeing a cultural shift in the church. It could be. And I'm not a huge believer that really happens much anymore. But I'm not doubting God can do anything, right? And so, and so if he chose to use one of us to do that, I don't want to stand in the way of him using me to do that. And Peter made that decision. He's like, who am I? Who am I? Number one, saved by grace, all messed up in some ways, shortcomings in other ways, you know, whatever it was that he was, but also used of God, miracle signs, wonders, all these things, but all by his grace, all by his love, loved and safe and secure in Jesus, all those things. He's like, so he's answering that question. Based on that, based on that, who am I to stand in the way of God using me for what he wants to do in the church? Right. That's right. And so he went and he did it. And now he's answering for it. I mean, his only, his only choice in this was to withstand God, try to withstand God in his life. Jesus, I know you just told me to go with these guys, but they're Gentiles, so I'm not going to do it. They're going to withstand God? Oh, I know you told me to go with these guys, but now you know it looks like I'm supposed to preach at this guy's house. I'm not going to do that. You're going to withstand God? Oh, well, they're Gentiles, you know, so I don't know if they're worthy to even hear the gospel, so maybe I shouldn't say anything. You really going to do that? Well, he could have made those choices and withstood what, exactly what God told him to do. And and we know we can disobey. We know that. Everybody knows that because we've all disobeyed. So everybody knows that you can. You know you can disobey. But that doesn't mean you can't make a better decision next, right? If you disobey, that's one thing. Sorry, all right, well, I missed it. I disobeyed. But you get what about the next time? Make a better decision, right? That living a life, it's one thing to disobey, it's another thing to, to live in disobedience. Those are two different things. But Peter, he had to make a decision, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna withstand God, I'm not gonna oppose God, I'm gonna resist God. How hard is that? How hard is that to keep resisting God in your life? I mean it's hard. And then it gets easier. And then you just don't care. And if you're on the road to not caring right now, you need to stop that slide. Because we need to care. You need to care. I need to care. We need to care. And if we get on that road of, you know, well, I didn't do it that time. Oh, I guess I didn't obey again. Oh, I guess I'm not obeying that. I'm not going to do that. And then you, you understand what I mean? It gets easier after a while got to get off that that is such a slide such a bad slide you got to put a foot out and stop it stop it and climb back up the hill stop that and and I, I, that's just a direct if you've been sliding down that slope I just a direct word stop that stop it it's the end because you're, you're trying to oppose you're trying to resist God and because he gives you free will, man, you do that long enough and you just get hard. And that's just no way to live. Nobody wants to live that way. 
Not really. You came to Jesus for a reason. Because you don't want to live that way. And don't go back. You don't want to live that way again. And so we stop the process. We stop it. I mean, you think about, uh, you know, the human nature. My nature. Like, we, we all have this in our nature. And you think about the early church here. And they were displeased to hear the word of God had been received. They were displeased to hear the word of God had been received. They're the church. But why were they displeased? Because, well, it wasn't done according to their system and their rules. And so they were displeased about it. Now think about that for a second. The gospel had been preached. Supernaturally, one of their apostles had been called, went to where he was called to supernaturally. He preached the gospel. God supernaturally answered from heaven, poured out his Holy Spirit. There was people speaking in tongues, supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. All these things, these people were baptized and the, this whole new place, this whole new people were opened up to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were upset about it. Doesn't that seem messed up? It does, right? That seems messed up. But, but that it was because it was outside their system and it was outside their rules. Their rules had not been followed. And so somebody broke the rules. And so they were upset. But again, what was the basic truth of it? The gospel had been preached and people had responded to the gospel. That's the job of the church, right? Yeah. So the, the, the job of the church was going forth, but then the church was upset that the job of the church was going forth. When I first became a Christian, I had exposure to this many times because I I didn't think I wasn't brought up in the kind of church I was going to, and so I didn't think the same. Uh, and I've told this story before, and and people laugh at it, and I and I've I've told this story in churches too, and at retreats and things when I've spoken at retreats, and the people there will will be amused by it. But then I, I'm always in this place where if that ever, ever happened in their church, they would freak out. I'll tell you what happened. So I got put in charge of the youth group at my church when I was back in Fredonia. I was a college student, and I'd like toward the end, or maybe I'd just graduate or something, but there was nobody running the youth group, so they put me in charge. So I went, we had this house, it used to be the uh, where the pastor lived, the parsonage, but they bought him a different house somewhere else, so they turned it into a Christian education building. Well, the upstairs wasn't being used, so I went up there and I painted it, and I had a bunch of people help me paint it in all of these like loud colors and all this stuff. I mean, just completely transformed the inside of the house upstairs. Made a little office for myself. There's a bathroom up there, the big room that we used, and all this stuff turned into like a youth hangout area. And and so I had a meeting after church one Sunday. I said, okay, this is what I'm doing. Starting up a youth group. This is what I'm looking for. This is what we're going to be doing. So if any of your parents want your kids coming out, this is where I'm going to be here. Bring them on out, and we'll have youth, and it'll be fun, and that'll be it. And I just told them, I said, we're going to do stuff for God, and I'm just going to run around cones and you know, do whatever youth usually do. We're going to actually do something. All right. They're all excited about it. So the youth showed up. And so we did a bunch of things. Like we'd have worship. We would go ahead and um, have a, like a teaching time, response time. We, um, I don't know, I, I, we did different activities. And we did other stuff too. Like we went to some concerts, things like that. Things that youth groups do. But uh, pretty much did a lot of ministry. And over time, uh, it was just like, I got, I just got all this attitude from the church kids. It was like, maybe, you know, a few months in, it's like, oh man, I don't want to do this. This is stupid. Uh, why don't we do something fun? Why don't you ever do anything that's fun? Why we got to do all this dumb worship stuff? You know, all that kind of stuff, right? So I just snapped one night. 
I was sitting there and snapped. I'm like, all right, all you guys that are here, never come back. Never. <laughs> never. Tell your parents that you're not welcome here and just get out of here and don't come back. I'm sick of all of you. And so what I did was I went out to the local parks that was out in, it's in the middle of town, and I started sharing with the kids out there about Jesus. And a few weeks later, we had the beginnings of a youth group, and we started drawing other kids in. None of them went to church. None of them were a part of the church. None of them had anything to do with the church. They were just coming in off the street and were from other places or whatever. And we just started a youth group like that. And that became the youth group. Well, I can't tell you the amount of irritation I caused in that place. Everybody was mad at me in the church. Everybody. The pastor was mad. The parents were mad. The kids were mad. They hated me, but they were still mad. I mean, all these people were just upset. Because that's not how you're supposed to do things. Because what I was supposed to do is hold their hand and tell them it'll be all right and be really nice to them and coddle them so that they would keep coming back because I was desperate to have a youth group. And they, they just underestimated the I don't really care factor that was going on in my life at the time. So get out. And I'm not a good coddler. Just not. And this is one example, and, and I could I could fill a few hours with these stories. <laughs> but God is going to choose how he's going to do things. And I, to this day, I stand by my decision there, by the way. And I stood by my decision then. And I continue to stand by my decision for that. Because you know what happened over time? Some of those kids that I kicked out, they came back and asked me to please, please let them back and to come back to youth. Some of them did. And in my infinite grace and mercy, I... <laughs> we all got along after a while. <laughs> but... If you break the rules, man, people get upset. Because you see, religion, just philosophically, I'll just give you a little bit here, and I'm not going to spend a long time on this. But religion, by the rules, is how people solidify and carry on a system of faith over time and generations without a personal experience. So instead of requiring each person to have a personal experience with Jesus, they just create a culture with a bunch of rules and regulations and say, follow that, and you're all good. And so therefore, you can perpetuate it over time and generations. But the reality is, is that people need to have a personal relationship with God. They need to have a personal experience with God or none of it matters. When we started this church, we seriously discussed a sundown clause on this church. That after X number of years, 20 years, 25 years, the whole church would just dissolve. And whoever was left, if they wanted to start a church, they'd get to it. But you'd do that based on your personal experience on your call and on what God was speaking to you, not what he spoke to us. You follow what I'm saying? Because we're trying to avoid what I just said. We ultimately didn't put it in there. But I still think about it. And so I spend time now just encouraging you to get your personal experience. And to get a hold of that. Because you got, um, you got Peter here. 
you know, and and that, what I just described to you, that whole system of rules and regulations, it's the bane and it's the damage of the church to do such. Your rules, our rules, the church rules, should never, ever, ever withstand God. And if they do, they're wrong. That's it. They're just wrong. So what power and what right do I have to oppose and resist God's revealed intent? What power and right do I have to hold back His love to anybody? None. None. And so I want to encourage you to, to apply that to you. You know the old saying, lead, follow, or get out of the way? Well, let's lead, okay? <laughs> let's lead with what Jesus is saying to us and get to it. All right? Let, let, let's get to what God has for us. And, and let's participate actively in what God has for us to do. You know, there just has to be a point in our lives where I guess we just don't care about what the world thinks. So we don't care about what that person thinks. And we just take a hold of what God has and we do it. And if I'd encourage it toward that place, I, I would tonight. Because I think there's some... Some things that God wants us to boldly do. There's some things that God wants us to lovingly do. There's some things that God wants us to patiently do. But He's got stuff for us. But we need to be willing. So I'm going to pray for some revelation for you tonight. Ask Jesus to speak to you. And and then let's go and let's get it let's get some things done together individually let's get some things done father i thank you tonight that you're in the business of spreading your love and i thank you want to spread your love through us so tonight i ask you that we would be open to that open to whatever you want to do open to revelation open to understanding things open to seeing things i pray father that uh, we'd be open to uh, whatever it is that you want us to do, wherever it is that you want, you'd have for us to go, how you want us to do it. But I just ask you that we just get a hold of some vision tonight and we would just walk in it. We'd walk in it. If we've been resisting you and, and we're getting harder and harder, I pray, and I speak to that for it to stop in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would soften our hearts, our spirit to you, and and that, that the disobedience, the abject, I'm not going to do this, would just stop in our life. And that we would allow you to resensitize us to uh, caring. Our heart would be open and soft to you for what you have and what you want to do. Because God, doing our thing is attractive in a moment, but really stinks over time. And so... Uh, we, we came to you for a reason. And I pray that you would renew that in us, the sense of that. And that, God, you would soften us and that we would find our, ourselves back in, in what you have for us. We want to hear you. We want to get about it. We want to do it. We want to spread your love. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this neighborhood. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this city. We want to be part of what you're doing around the world in whatever capacity that you have for us, for me. And so hearts wide open. Hearts wide open. I pray you speak. Hearts wide open. I, I pray you'd lead us. Hearts wide open. I pray that you'd use us. Pray that you'd use this, God.
Thank you for the grace, the mercy, the love, the acceptance. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for life. And let's pray we can't help but share that. Just can't help it. I pray it springs forth and bubbles forth. So tonight, I just thank you. Just thank you. Pray you keep us soft. Keep us soft. Keep us pliable. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We by saying amen. 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 God bless you tonight. Thanks for coming. Good to see you. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways. So musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.